We are grateful to God, certainly, um, just for another Sunday here at Victory City. Um, we're especially gracious for the word that God has given us on today. Um, we have completed our journey through the book of Ephesians, so that lasted about two or three months or so, and now we are ready to begin our survey of the book of Genesis and really spend time getting back to the roots of our beliefs. There are so many pervasive lies about how we got here. And while many of them may sound clever, rational, and some of them a little far-fetched, we must understand that everything that says that we got here any other way than God himself is produced by opponents of God. Listen, this can be a rather confusing topic even for Christians, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, I would even argue that it shouldn't be. I want you all to have the full confidence that the Bible is foolproof, it is inerrant, and it is the word of God. Listen, we know what the world says. The world says that God is not the creator of the world. He does not exist. He isn't real. And that the world is an amalgamation of atoms that spontaneously crashed together and formed a bang big enough to create the universe. Now, I don't know about you, but based on that definition, I can explain how the atoms, which came from nothing, somehow crashed together and didn't just create something, but created everything. See, what they're saying is that nothing created something and that nothing that created something caused something else to happen. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make much sense. Now, I'll submit to you and any other atheist, while I can't explain how nothing created something, I also can't explain how God is eternal in existence and was never created, never began, but has already been in existence. I can't explain that either. But the beautiful part about Christianity is that I don't have to explain him. Because by his own definition of himself, he is, he always has been, and he always will be. Now, before we get into the text, allow me to give you some context and background on where we are in Genesis. First of all, just so we are clear in this room, Genesis is the beginning. Genesis is the beginning. It documents more time than the rest of the Bible combined. Genesis alone documents more time than the rest of the Bible combined. Genesis 1 through 11 all take place in Mesopotamia. And later parts are going to take place in Babylon, what we now call modern day Iraq. Now, this is important because much of Genesis reads like Mesopotamian poetry. Now, I know you probably think that this is a bunch of useless information, but it's not. 
There are two creation stories that come from both Mesopotamia and Babylon that are extremely similar to our Genesis creation story. One of them is the Epic of Atrocis, for example, written, by, written about 1600 B.C. It tells a creation, the creation story, the creation of the world, and then it moves into what appears to be a great global flood. A much later Babylonian work, the Enuma Elish, also known as the Epic of Gilgamesh, also has an account of creation. The Enuma Elish, or the Epic of Gilgamesh, begins with the divine spirit and with a primeval chaos. Its, its main purpose is to glorify the chief Babylonian god, who goes by the name of Marduk, who then defeats the watery chaos monster, Tiamat. Light emanates from these gods and then the firmament, the dry land, luminaries, and eventually all humankind is created. These gods then rest and celebrate. Now, how do these different creation stories exist? We have to be able to argue this. How can we have different creation stories but that are seemingly telling the same story? Now, if you come across an atheist, an atheist may make this argument to you. They may say, well, both of these were written before the Bible was actually written, so they must precede the Bible. But let me tell you how we know that's not true. One, the Bible account is not written until Moses writes it. Not only that, Adam lived for 900 years. So that means we don't have to write the story down because everybody that experienced it is telling the story generation after generation after generation. So an atheist will say, well, how come theirs came first? Theirs didn't come first. It was just written first. But it is clear that they adapted the story from the Genesis account of creation. Not only that, although they use different representations of the gods that created, it is clear to see they are all telling the same creation story. So, what we have to rationalize is if even the false religions can identify that there is a creator, then there must be a creator. But make no mistake about it. Ours is the real account of creation. Let's jump to Genesis 1 and 1. And I bet you all think that you are biblical experts on Genesis 1 and 1, but we are going to break it down today. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible unequivocally tells us that Genesis details for us the beginning of time. This is not eternity past by which God already has existed, but this is the very beginning of the existence of the world. Scripture supports that this is roughly 10,000 years ago. And so I hold to the belief that the earth is not old. The earth has not been here for hundreds of thousands of years. The earth has not been here for millions of years. But I subscribe to the young earth belief. And the reason we believe that is because the Bible details to us how much time passed 
from beginning until now. God initiated the beginning of time when he created the world. Psalms 33 and 6 tells us, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. God alone is the sole creator of, the, of everything that we can see. And for any of us who claims to be a Christian, you must accept this fact without exemption. You cannot hold to the belief that we were spontaneously generated or that we have been evolving since the beginning of time. You as a Christian must uphold to the biblical belief that God created us. Not only did God create us, but because we are not the spontaneous product of chance, we are created with intellect. We are created with intention of design. And I have to break some news to you. If God is not the creator, then no one is. And not only that, that means that what happens in our lives has no purpose, no intent, no cause, and no promise. We're just here. But worst of all, if God isn't real, then Jesus is nothing more than a megalomaniac liar who craved the worship of people around him. That means if God is not the creator, everything else in the book is a lie. So, simply put, if you have reservations about the beginning of the book, then it is impossible for you to do anything with the rest of the book. You must believe in the beginning God created. The very first line. The very first verse presupposes faith in God. It is a matter of faith. If I don't believe that God created or that the earth is young, then I will find reasons to not believe any other part in scripture that I simply cannot grasp. And allow me to just explain this to you very briefly. I can't grasp creation. It is above my head. I can't make sense of it. Even with the words written in the book, as long as I sit there and try to wonder, how could God exist? I can't rationalize it. Because my flesh is veiling me from being able to see it. But you must accept this as a fact of faith. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, I've told you all before that every word that is written in the Bible is written with specific intent and that there are no wasted words. And that is the case here. The first word that I want us to be able to dive into is the word that is used for God here. The word that is used for God. Now, Moses is writing here. And after this chapter, Moses will only use the term Yahweh. 
in reference to God, but he uses Adonai because Moses thinks that he cannot speak the name of God. He's not worthy to speak the name of God. So after this chapter, every time you see Moses speak, he refers to God as Lord God, that is Yahweh into Adonai. But that's not what he uses in the first chapter. In the first chapter, he exclusively uses Elohim. He uses Elohim. Now, Christians aren't the only ones. Jews were not the only ones in that time to use the word Elohim. But the only people who did all used it to refer to a multiplicity of gods. So they would use Elohim to describe their polytheistic gods who all represented different things in the world. But certainly we know that we uphold that we are a monotheistic belief. There is one God. So why is Moses speaking of God in plural terms? I think it's clear. What he wants us to get is that he is speaking of the triune, the trinity, God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. He is speaking of God in all three persons here. See, earlier I said that God alone created, but he created alone in the coexistent, co-equal persons of the trinity. The deity of God has been at work ever since creation. This confirms us that no part of God is created. God the Son is not a creation. God the Spirit is not a creation. God the Father is not a creation. But it tells us that the Trinity actively creates it. Now it's clear here that God created everything ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. You say, what does that mean? That means that he created everything from nothing. God had no help. He had no assistance, no spark, and certainly no big bang. He did it all by himself with the help of none other. My grandmother had this song that she used to love for me to play when she got in my car. He's God all by himself. And he don't need nobody's help. That is the sign that happens at creation. And we know this because we remember how he interrogated Job. He said, Job, where were you when I set everything in place? Where were you when I did it? He didn't say when I had the help. He says, when I did it, where were you? God has created alone. Let's look at what Hebrews 11 and 3 tells us. By faith, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That means that God used nothing somehow but the power of his word to create the world.
God, immaterial and spirit, created the material world because of his eternal attributes. And the writer, the Hebrew writer here is telling us that the only way that we can understand this, the only way that we can comprehend this is by faith. It's by faith. It's not a a means of rationality. It's not a means of reason. The only way that we can even grip this is by faith. Now, people will always ask you, how can you prove that God exists or what is the evidence to you of his existence? And this is our argument. God said that he created me intelligently. He designed me. He created the world intently. Have you noticed? He placed the sun exactly the perfect distance for us to feel it, to be nourished by it, but not be destroyed by it. Have you noticed that he placed the moon the exact right distance so that the seas can be affected by the gravitational pull but not so much that it overflows the world. The tides are controlled because God has placed everything in the world strategically with intelligent design. That's all the evidence we need because he said he did all of that. So let's get real about it. We are saying That an intelligent God spoke the word into existence and carefully placed everything where it is. Now answer me this. Which of these needs more faith? That God did this or that somehow in a random act of chance, everything just so happened to fall perfectly in place to perfectly align and perfectly position itself and somehow on the whim of chance has held together for millions of years. Listen, you must be a proponent of intelligent design. Have you ever looked at a piece of tissue? It doesn't take a genius to create a piece of tissue, yet somehow the universe could create humans spontaneously, but couldn't create the most simple molecular form of a piece of tissue. How is it chance could do all of this on a whim? How could anybody believe that? When I say it like that, of course it sounds unbelievable. But you may ask, but why do people believe it? Let's show you why. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion 
that so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. You see that? So there are two issues here. One, why do men not believe? They don't believe because according to the scripture, they have already refused to accept the truth. Like it said in Romans, we suppress the truth. And because of our rejection of the truth, God then sends us a strong delusion that prevents us from being able to see the truth. You say, now, wait a minute. How can God in his righteousness and in his justice send people a strong delusion so that they can't believe? Well, I can tell you why. Because according to scripture, he's already made it plain to them so that they can believe. God said he has made it plain to everybody that he is the creator of the world. He has made evident the truth. And when they saw the truth, they would not acknowledge the truth. And so when he sends that strong delusion, he gives them over to the things that are convenient for them to do, which is why they have so much evidence, so many signs and so many wonders. But it's not true. Charles Darwin said it like this. He said, I am willing to avoid the idea of a creator at all costs. There's another scientist who said, I realize that rationally, science could not have worked this way to create the world, but I simply refuse to accept the fact that God created it. That is a strong delusion, people. And there are absolutely going to be times where you're going to be in arguments with people who are going to seem smarter than you, more knowledgeable than you. But I want you to remember this. They believe what they believe by faith. See, it's atheism. And they have to believe it by faith. And I don't want anyone to fall into this in this room. God is real, people. God is absolutely, unequivocally real. He is the one who made everything that we see. So, why would this strong delusion be out there? What do people gain from it? We have to rationalize this. The Bible tells us, as we have said before, that the world is aware that there is a creator, but they reject that truth. They reject it because if they acknowledge that there is a creator, then they must acknowledge that he alone sits as the righteous judge of my life. And if he is the righteous judge of my life, then that means I'm not. And most of us simply cannot handle the idea that I can't decide whether I am good or bad. That is up to God. And so what do we do? We do two things. Either we deny the fact that he exists altogether. Or we create a God that we would prefer to exist. A God that is full of grace, not full of wrath, not full of judgmental, not full of judging. A God who simply accepts me no matter how I am. Let me tell you this. Whether you don't believe him at all 
Oh, you create a God you can believe. You're an atheist. Because if you are denying the God of the Bible, you don't believe in him. That's why it frustrates me sometimes when people say things like, when I accept Christ, we can't accept him. We need him to accept us. Next, not only do we know that God created, but we know explicitly what God created. When the Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth, this statement means that all of creation belongs to God and it is the handiwork of God himself. But things get really interesting in verse two, and I'm so excited. Let's look at verse two. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. We immediately see that we see what seems to be a contradictory statement here. What's the contradictory statement? Let's look at it. God created and then we see without form and void. This doesn't make sense at first glance because it appears that God has created a mess. John Calvin referred to it as confused emptiness. Now we must wrestle with this question. Why would God create a formless and void earth? Obviously, it stands to reason that God could have created everything in perfection and in order, but he didn't. He created this dark chaos that had no order to it at all. See, when we tend to think of chaos, we think of evil and we think of sin, but that isn't what chaos means here. We see that the spirit of God, here we, here we go again with the Trinity, the spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. This again confirms that the full work of the deity of God, yet that still, the spirit of God still has not brought order into creation. Yet we remain with a formless and void chasm. So what is the purpose of it being void? Well, we must see what brings order to the chaos. And we don't see order. This is going to get beautiful. Until verses 3 and 4. So let's see how order gets restored. And God said. There you go. That's when order came. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. You see that? That's it. Order comes when God speaks. When God spoke. Everything came into alignment. And not only did it come into alignment, but it was good. So God created order with his spoken word. 
Why does God see fit to create order with his spoken word? Just bear with me for a second. God's word and nature walk hand in hand. And that means that you cannot pull the two apart. You cannot have the benefits of God's ordered creation, but then walk in disobedience to his word. Why? Because his word is responsible for creating everything we see. What does John 1 and 1 tell us? In the beginning was the word. That makes it clear. In the beginning was the word. God spoke the word. And when he spoke the word. He created. And what we see are the material evidences of the immaterial God. Not only that, however, God not only spoke the word, but God says that he is the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So when God creates, when God speaks, he's only speaking of himself. And there is disorder until he speaks. And when he speaks, he brings chaos in line. That is the effect of God's word on our lives even today. When we know the word, when we preach the word, when we speak the word, what is chaos and sin in our lives comes into alignment. It's the power of his word. And we see... When we get to John 1 and 14, that the word was made flesh in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. Let's break it down. God created a world that was formless and void. When he does that, it is in chaos until he speaks the word. John tells us that not only was the word with God and was God, but he also tells us that Jesus was the manifestation of the word in the flesh. God speaks to complete the Trinity. God the Father in the beginning, God. God the Spirit, the Spirit was hovering and then said, Jesus is the word made flesh. That means God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. That means not only can you have God's, can you not have God's benefits in created order without him, it is impossible for you to accept any truth about a creator that denies any part of his deity because the nature of God was at work in creation. And just in case you don't understand how this works, when God spoke life into existence, never did he have to speak life into existence again. He has held the world together by that one word that he spoke. That is why he spoke, because God's word is what holds the world together. 
This is why I said we cannot be illiterate when it comes to the word of God because God's word is literally what glues the fabric of the world that holds it together. Now, I know you probably think I'm just contriving all this and this is some deep philosophical reasoning, but it's not. Scripture backs this up. Let's look at our last verse. Hebrews 1. And one, long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs let's break this down again God spoke through his son, that's the word made flesh, through whom he created the world. And he upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. So, why did God speak? This, this is why God spoke. When he spoke, God knew in his infinite wisdom, knowledge, and power, and glory that he was speaking the word of salvation, namely Jesus Christ. That's why when the Bible tells us that he is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world because he has always been in existence. As long as God has been, so has Christ been. And when he spoke the word of his power, it says that Jesus was the exact imprint of God. He was the radiance of his glory. Which means when he spoke the world into existence, he then spoke the word into flesh. And when he spoke the word into flesh, it was the vehicle. By which we would all be saved. If you can understand that God's thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts, God's ways are so much better than my ways, that you wouldn't even waste time having vain philosophical arguments with people who won't believe because they can't believe. Because they've, sent, they've been sent a strong delusion. But don't you be mistaken in this room. God is real. He was there when the world was created, Jesus was, and the world is held together by him. See, this is why we can't glance past Genesis and think that we've got this whole thing figured out. If you can't get Genesis right, then we can't get anything else right. God is the supreme creator of the world. We are created with purpose, 
We are created with design. We are created with love. We are created with intent. And that purpose, that design, that love, and that intent all, all means that we are to be reflections and image bearers of the glory of God. That means we are not just the products of chance or a random amalgamation of happiness that just so happened to form us the way we needed to be. No. We are the products of an all-wise, all-knowing, and all-powerful God who can count every single hair that is on our heads, who can number the grains of sands on the beach, and who gave every single star their name. That's who God is, and yes, he's real. Let's pray.